This episode of Country Squire Radio is brought to you by Missouri Meerschaum. We thank them for supporting this show, and we thank you for supporting them. Welcome to Country Squire Radio. I'm Bo. And John David is still out, ladies and gentlemen, on paternity. And what a week to be out. We've got some breaking news that's going on in the pipe industry. And I know that nobody wants to tune in to hear my personal thoughts on that, especially without John David. I can provide, you know, some commentary, but nothing to the extent that he brings to the table. Now, of course, the breaking news that I'm talking about is what was announced earlier this week that Scandinavian Tobacco Group, STG Lane, uh, has announced that it will be reducing the number of its production sites and as a result will be closing STG Lane Limited's facility in Tucker, Georgia. Now, this is a very special site, especially to, to John David and I, because a few years ago, we had the opportunity to go in for a visit, kind of go behind the scenes, as it were. And you'll hear me talk about it in just a minute more, but it was really kind of a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory moment, uh, especially for John David. I mean, for both of us, But you should have seen the look on this guy's face when he's kind of going through and seeing all of these aged pipe tobaccos or aged tobaccos still in leaf form and and the various places where they may receive casing and, and that sort of thing. And it was very special. Plus, there's some wonderful people there as well. And obviously, this news impacts the local folks there very heavily, but it also has been impacting the industry as a whole. A lot of you have written in wondering kind of our thoughts on this and kind of hoping to gain some more information and what this could mean. Well, since John David is out, I thought there's probably nobody better to reach out to than STG themselves. So we've got on the line with us joining us here in just a moment, Leonard Wurzel, who's the Vice President of Marketing and Product Development for STG Lane, and really, really honored to have him on the show and, and kind of talk about some, honestly, some tough issues. With that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Leonard Wurzel. Leonard, thanks so much for coming on Country Squire Radio today. No problem. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, hey, you know, first of all, you know, before we kind of get into, um, you know, the, the, the news of the day, I, you know, I'd like for our listeners to kind of get a little acclimated to, to you. Um, you know, we, we like to kind of uh, get a sense of any kind of guests, their, their pipe story, so to speak. But are you more of a cigar or a pipe guy? No, I'm a pipe guy. I was a pipe smoker probably going back to when I was about 25, um, although I didn't get in the tobacco industry until 2011. I had... Uh, Moved to Costa Rica and was working as a copywriter in an ad agency down there. And then I moved to Dallas in 95. And my dad had smoked a pipe, but I just had some time to kill and needed a new vice. So I went out and got a Missouri Mersham and a pouch of Captain Black, probably at a Walgreens back in the day. All right. Uh, that's, uh, I think, a Missouri Mersham and uh, Captain Black is a, I was a, a gateway for, for many. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then, you know, I, I continued smoking the pipe, but then it was around 2009, 2010, I was working at Home Depot Corporate in their marketing department, which was a great company, but I was miserable. So I, I quit and took a year off. When I first started going back to look for work, it was 2011. And I was so burned out on corporate, I wasn't even going to apply to any true companies. It was all <laughs> universities and nonprofits and uh, stuff like that. But the very first thing I saw on Monster.com was brand manager pipe tobacco. And I was like, well, I could probably do that. And so now, uh, <laughs> so I literally probably got hired about three weeks later and I've been there ever since. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when you were with, you know, Home Depot, that's, uh, that's quite an industry jump. I mean, there are probably some similarities there, but uh, how would you say that uh, it's been different working in you know, tobacco versus the, uh, the home goods store? 
it's been very different. I, I mean, you're one, you're in a very, very large publicly traded company in the midst of the massive down, downturn in the housing crisis, right? So when I walked in those headquarters, there were 6,000 of us. And when I finally quit because I couldn't manage to get myself fired, um, <laughs> there were only 3,000 of us left. I mean, again, great company, rewarded me very well. But what I learned there and what I've really learned since is that that cliche of having a passion about what you're doing makes all the difference. Again, the, all the Home Depot did was keep promoting me and, and really treating me very well, but I couldn't get out of my car in the morning. And now I've stumbled into a job where it's literally for the first time, they'll need to pull me out of there by the fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm certainly ruined for work outside of tobacco. Big difference is also you, you're in a, a very large company to make any kind of a decision requires the input of a lot of people. Whereas particularly in the early days, you know, it's had to change a little bit lately with FDA and other things. But when I first walked in the door, analyzed the portfolio and said, hey, I actually think we need this product at this price point there that we don't have. And they looked at me and said, okay. You know, and I'm like, uh, what if I don't actually have any clue what I'm doing here? But then, uh, you know, three months later, from your mind onto the shelf of a store. So um, very, very different in that sense. Wow. No, that's great. I mean, so you mentioned when you came on board as a brand manager, I mean, today, of course, you're vice president of marketing and product development. Uh, what your kind of experience and, you know, um, kind of growth in the company right there, what are, what are some of the projects and products that you've seen that you would say you're kind of, you know, most proud to have a hand in? I, I think, um, you know, particularly on the pipe side, it's really resurrecting uh, a lot of the old portfolio, you know, under Reynolds, they had discontinued. I think we were down to six bulk SKUs and maybe about a dozen pipe tobacco SKUs. So I probably swung that pendulum a little too far the other way. When you're looking through the records and learning their portfolio and realize that they've discontinued the HG, HGL bulk blend named for our founder. I'm like, my God, where's the conscience here? <laughs> bringing back a lot of that stuff, bringing back things like the, uh, the crown achievement, you know, getting us back in the kind of the, the premium European tin style business, which the factory was not happy with because that's a very manual process at our place. We're not really built for that. A lot of the things that I really enjoyed failed miserably. You know, I launched a pipe tobacco called Pippa, sort of this, hipster librarian sort of evocative art came with the pouch, the pipe, the whole nine yard, you know, never went anywhere. And I think the thinking was good, but uh, that was fun on the cigar side. And again, this didn't do very well either, but I launched a cigar called half pipe where we literally shipped BCA and buttered rum and very cherry down to the Dominican. Nice. And had them use that as a sandwich filler in a uh, hand rolled cigar. So you know, and then there's a lot of things outside of the pipe side that were were you know that have come, stayed, or come and gone since then. But we you are know, really overall, it's been the fun of letting the company's been very good about letting us make mistakes. Been very good about you know, it's a lot of fun when you're able to sit there and play around in the factory and said, I think we need this, and nobody gets in your way. No, that's great. Until the FDA. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of innovation. And when it comes to, you know, entrepreneurship, be it as a, from a startup standpoint or from a large corporate standup, uh, it's, it's all about kind of pushing change and pushing innovation and, and figuring out, uh, you know, thinking through new ways to do things. And I find that a lot of folks don't really associate the tobacco industry or, or the pipe and cigar space specifically with kind of innovation. But there are folks like you that have been really getting creative. And, and one of the things I've loved through this podcast is talking through trends and talking with different people who have really kind of been, uh, you know, like you said, not afraid to fail, not afraid to try something different and, and see how the market responds. Uh, but I am curious, what are some of the trends that you've seen in, in pipe tobacco tastes? What has kind of uh, come and gone and where would you say we are right now in terms of the, the current trend or current taste? I don't know that there has been a big shift in a lot of the overall consumer taste. You know, you're heavy into the podcast side. You're dealing with a, a very particular audience there. We're all involved on the forums. That's a very particular um you know, passionate fan base there. Still, 90% of the pipe tobacco that's sold and consumed is aromatic style pipe tobaccos. Right. And that really hasn't changed. Now, we have done a good bit of research because we've got some pretty good databases and then we use some uh, third-party databases. And when we broke it down, we looked at what we would call the traditional pipe smoker, it would be what you would think of as your old school guy. Now, this guy does not like to experiment with different brands. You know, <laughs> he has that thing he smoked, only about 10% of them even like would even want to bother trying anything else. But then we have what we would call the new enthusiast, which is mostly folks cold from our database drawn from places like Pipes Magazine and TobaccoReviews.com. Sure. And 65% of those behave more like you would think of as a... Uh, it more like you would think of as a, a craft brew uh, consumer, a wine consumer, a cigar consumer. They may have that everyday blend, but 65% of them really want to experiment with what's new. So over time, you're going to switch to more and more consumers of that because, of course, the older folks are going away. There is a new influx of pipe smokers. We think there's probably even more pipe smokers coming in than are going away. So over time, you'll get more and more of that experimenter. But of course, the new guy coming in will never smoke the amount of pipe tobacco that the old timer was sure. capable of doing when, when he never had to put his pipe down. Right. So from an industry standpoint, overall, you know, volumes have been declining from the 60s. They still can uh, uh, decline about 10% a year. That'll vary by channel in the drug and food channel, those declines are going, you know, faster. I think you'd see in online and brick and mortar tobacconist that they're probably flat to even slightly up. Hmm. Well, no. So, you know, uh, our listeners, I'm sure are, are very familiar. Of course, they've heard us talk about STG and, and Lane before, but could you kind of, you know, give, give our listeners some context for, you know, STG and Lane, like what, what, what is STG and Lane, uh, STG and Lane, do and how do they fit together in the broader corporate structure? Yeah, so taking a step back, you know, we're, we're the headquarters is out of Copenhagen, and there's probably about 10,000 employees worldwide. Um, you have factory sites here in the US, in the Dominican, uh, various sites in Europe, Indonesia. Uh, of course, you know, we have a significant pipe factory and another roll your own factory right there in Denmark. And then we have 
sales offices with actual sales personnel. Oh, I forget the number of countries, probably closer to 20 or 30, but then we'll use distribution networks all over the world. So the core portfolio for this company at our heart, we are a cigar company, right? Premium cigar and then cafe creme kind of European style cigarillos, but we're also the largest in the world in pipe tobacco and pretty darn close at it in fine cut. So when you come to the U S you own three pretty distinct companies. Uh, one is courses, cigars international. So that's pipes and cigars.com, the online site, you own general cigar, you know, the number one, uh, premium cigar maker. Those products are made in a factory in the Dominican, um, but all the sales and distribution and marketing and everything happen in an office in Richmond. And then you have Lane, which is probably unique around the world for SDG because we're the only company that has that traditional commercial organization, you know, sales, marketing, and all customer service and all the rest of that, but is actually attached to a physical factory. So, I think when they got us from Reynolds, I think what was attractive about us, one, we were, SDG is one of the few companies left that really still cares and has a passion about pipe tobacco. And they knew the strength of the the Lane Bulk and the, the Captain Black brands here. And they also saw abilities to access, you know, yes, we have great uh, product availability in tobacconists. Of course, we're online. But we have really broad what we call mass market distribution, and not just for pipe tobacco, but for roll your own food, food, drug and convenience and cigarette tobacco outlets. And I think they really saw that as an opportunity to broaden some of the rest of the portfolio in there. So pretty much until 2018, Lane was completely independent of everything but a direct line into Copenhagen. You really had this sort of contained unit that you know was ours to help kind of foster and, and, and grow or die trying. Um, they've done a lot of shifts globally throughout the organization. So now there's really a head of all of North America. Uh, does not include CI. They're being kept separate. But the Canada, uh, General Cigar, and Lane, since April of 18, all report into uh, one individual who's over all of that. So they've, they've done some structural changes there and other things with supply chain and, and like not. So we have kind of transitioned from this sort of quasi-independent operating unit to, you know, doing what you do when you're a company and you have multiples of companies in a place that have all grown up on their own and developed their own independent sales forces and independent marketing teams and independent HR and independent finance, you know, you're, especially as you become a publicly created company, you've got to look for ways to maximize uh, some of those efficiencies and uh, decision-making capabilities. So there's been a little of that activity. But on a day-to-day -day basis, particularly from marketing, product development, sales side, other than who I report to and some responsibility changes, there hasn't really been a tremendous amount of, of change there. Well, you know, thank you for that. That's good. I mean, I think a lot of folks um, at the end of the day, they sit back, they, they load up their pipe with their favorite uh, pipe tobacco. And, you know, we're not necessarily kind of constantly thinking of the corporate structures <laughs> behind, uh, you know, what, what, what it takes to get the blends out to us. But um, I think it's, you know, it's good to have that, that perspective, especially as we kind of get into uh, the news here. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. Throwing to a sponsor in the middle of an interview, that's a little off-putting, especially for Country Squire Radio. But you know what's not off-putting? That's the good quality products that you get from our good friends at Missouri Meerschaum. In fact, I love the fact that so many of us do have Missouri Meerschaum as part of our pipe origin story. Uh, those of you who have been listening for some time know I am a huge fan of the Country Gentleman. It has got to be, hands down, my favorite Missouri Meerschaum pipe. It's a good, chunky bowl. You get a good amount of pipe tobacco. And no matter where you are, it's perfect for every occasion. So you could be chilling out on the back porch. You could be out on the lake fishing. You could be around the campfire. And the Country Gentleman has got you what you need. So you'll be enjoying some great quality pipe tobacco through a great clean smoking experience through a Missouri Meerschaum pipe. And like I say, today we're recommending the Country Gentleman. Hey, if you've got a Country Gentleman pipe, be sure to smoke it this week. Take a picture of yourself doing so and tweet it into us. It's a great way to let the folks at Missouri Meerschaum know you appreciate them for sponsoring this show. And we're back. All right. So, of course, the big news, uh, Leonard, of course, the reason why we, we reached out to you is because of the announcement that STG is shutting its American production facilities and moving the operations uh, to Denmark. First of all, I want to make sure that is that is an accurate statement. Is that is that correct? It is. Because, again, at Lane, we're making filtered cigars. Uh, we're making pipe tobacco. We're making roll-your-own tobacco. So the filtered cigar production plans like Winchester, and there's a Captain Black version of that as well. That production is transitioning to our facilities in the Dominican Republic, where we make the Macanudos and Partagas and Cohibas and the like. And then the pipe tobacco will transition to the Denmark facility in Athens, which is a lot of folks think of as the former Orlick factory, right. where we're still, where we're making the Peter Stokabees, the Escudos, the Borkum Rifts of the world have all been coming out of there, uh, Dunhill. Um, and then the Roll Your Own will move to a facility that's about an hour and a half up the road from Athens called Hostebro. And that's our Roll Your Own facility where we make uh, today for the U.S. market uh, the Peter Stokeby brand. Um, so, yes, that uh, is an accurate statement. Gotcha. Okay. From a timing standpoint, that's where it gets a little hazier, you know. Um, <laughs> Because it'll be happening in, in phases, you know, a product skew here or a product uh, machine line there, you know, filtered cigars, maybe on this timeline and roll your own, maybe on that timeline. But overall, I think the company has said that the ultimate goal is to have completed that transition by about this time next year. Gotcha. So, I mean, I know that this is obviously a, a, a kind of a, a move of this magnitude is not something that just comes on a whim or overnight, <laughs> but um, what, what can you kind of tell us, you know, what, what was some of the decision-making process to, to the extent that you're able to, um, kind of how, how was this decision arrived to? Um, and I'll, I'll kind of speak in somewhat broader terms. Um, you know, you have multiple facilities around the world, all capable of doing the same thing. Right. And in particular, as we talk about pipe tobacco and roll your own, as we said, these aren't these are very profitable categories. We've been able to grow our share, increase the money coming in. But the volume from a factory standpoint is not growing. So now you've got multiple facilities, all capable of doing the exact same thing, but none of which or in the case of the activities we're talking about are being used to your full capacity. So what do you do in that sense? You know, well, even if you were a private company, but if you're a public company, you kind of got to make some hard decisions about, you know, in declining categories, how do you do this 
most efficiently. And so that, that ultimately is the, the driving factor. You know, it, it's not dissimilar to what you would see in any other type of manufacturing industry that, that was seeing some of the same trends. The decision here was not a rapid one. I'm sure that conversation has been taking place since the acquisition. Right. Um, you know, and uh, we managed to bring enough volume and other products for a period of time to kind of stave off that decision, but it was just time. Gotcha. So John David and I, a couple of years ago, had the opportunity to visit the Georgia facility. And I mean, it was like, it, you know, there was kind of almost like a Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory uh, <laughs> mindset, especially for John David. And it was interesting as we were walking through, I mean, he was just like, just like, this is, this is where the tobacco comes from. You know, he was, he was very much just like, uh, you know, just big eyed and bright eyed as it, when it came to the actual um, aging tobaccos and casing and such. On, on my side, though, when I was looking through, I was in awe of the specialized equipment that was being used to process all of this stuff. And so I'm kind of yeah. personally curious, what, what's going to happen to all that equipment? Because, I mean, it is very specifically specialized for a lot of what y'all do there. It is, you know, whether it's the packaging lines or the, uh, the casing lines and the conditioning chambers and all of that, it's all very, very unique equipment as to, you know, the ultimate disposition of the, the machinery itself. I think that remains to be seen. Hmm. Uh, there's some of it that will transfer over to Europe, but it, as unique as this equipment is, particularly from a roll your own and a pipe tobacco side, it's not unique to what we already have in Europe. Exactly. That's yeah. already there on site. You know, there may be subtle differences, but when you think through the overall process of, hey, I've got this, I start with a box of dry leaf, I've got to moisten it, and then I got to apply casing, and then I got to dry it and cut it down, and then I got to put on top flavor. Right. And then, and then I got to put it, you know, in, in a packaging, the process and even visually the machines themselves, it's strikingly similar when you go to Assens and, and you come here. They actually just have a few kinds of equipment that we don't have, you know, the, the flake makers and the flake cutters and things like that. But ultimately, what will happen to that equipment? It's probably above my pay grade to say at this point. I assure <laughs> yeah. you there's probably plans. What those are, what, you know, who, you know, there just aren't that many of us making pipe tobacco around these days. So uh, where that might end up, if it doesn't end up transferring to our own facilities, well, that remains to be seen. Gotcha. Well, of course, the biggest question on the minds of our listeners is obviously, how is this going to affect, you know, with the move, how would it affect the availability of, you know, their favorite pipe tobacco? You know, is anything going to change or will anything be discontinued? And, it, you know, of course, at the end of the day, will, will this impact the price of the various products uh, due to the move? See, I would have thought their biggest concern would be what would happen to me. Well, I, 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 got tobacco, but... <laughs> <laughs> I got that question. I got that question. I care. I care, Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, so here's the short answer. The move will have no impact on the blends that we continue or discontinue. Anything we were making out of that factory, you know, we always have to look at our portfolio and say, hey, that, you know, like my Pippa brand, that's not working. We're going to stop. But that would have happened whether we're in lane or not. Right. Um, so any products that we were going to make in lane and we are making in lane, they are all going to ship to Denmark. Um, from a blend standpoint, uh, because of the FDA, we're not allowed to change pretty much down to the molecule, right? We have to be extremely careful that 
every single ingredient, uh, the exact way it's processed, the type of packaging material that touches the tobacco, none of that is allowed to change or you would be creating a new product in the eyes of the FDA. So, uh, you know, we can't do anything to, (laughs) whether you wanted to or not, you can't change these products. So I think that'll always be hard to convince a consumer, you know, uh, no matter how often I say it, or even if I put reams of paperwork in front of them that showed them down to the last ingredient that everything is identical, you know, (laughs) folks are always going to get the impression that things change. Um, There's really nothing I can do to combat that other than to say, get yourself two clay pipes, put a blindfold on, smoke (laughs) them side by side. Right, right. Uh, But the blends aren't changing. Um, uh, The move will not have an impact on pricing. Um, You know, yes, you're now having to import some things instead of, you know, you've got some additional shipping costs. There are import duties that are very small, especially in relation to like federal excise, which is a much bigger impact. Sure. And in the end, our costs, our costs, you know, are going to go down, not up. That, that's kind of the whole, you know, for better or worse, that's the whole point of doing right. this is we can do it cheaper when we put all of the volume in one place rather than trying to maintain two facilities. So when our costs don't increase, we do, you know, there's nothing to pass along. Now, let's, every year we do, you know, some sort of price increase, but that will not be an impact this move. So the consumer really won't see any impact on blend availability on formulations or on pricing as a, as a result of the move. Interesting. Okay. So that, I mean, and I guess that makes sense with the streamlining, as you say, I mean, that's going to impact you guys very positively. Uh, And so even with the increase in shipping um, there is, it sounds like a, a balancing. I mean, that, that is kind of one thing I, I was trying to understand. So the, the, with the sh- additional shipping costs and the fees associated with that, is that, so that's something that y'all absorb, but it's offset by the amount of money you're saving with the move, or is it something that'll eventually impact either the other distributors yeah. or the pipe shops? No, no. I mean, here's the reality. I've got containers coming in today, right? And so I'm already doing this uh, importation from, mm-hmm. uh, uh, from Denmark. Right. For, you know, the pipe tobaccos and the Roy Rones. So you've already got containers coming in. But it really is, while that is an expense, it, it is not, it isn't in as much as, as the overall savings. I mean, I, I'm, gotcha. the public document that I think is out there in the public release, and this is across everything, not just pipe tobacco, shows an annual savings of $3 million a year. Uh, it's not going to cost you that to ship and pay some duties. Sure. And, th- and that would account for all of that as well. Yeah. So yeah. it, it just, it, again, it, it's, um, you, you bring everything under one roof rather than having two. Um, you know, I, I don't know what's the best way to think about this is if you have two houses, but, really only live in one and the other one's just kind of sitting there and you go over there and spend the night every once in a while, mm-hmm. but you still got to pay, pay the mortgage and you still got to pay the heating and the electric bills and all of that. Um, if you just, you know, spent all your time in one house, you'd probably cut your, your bills down a good bit. Right. Right. 
You know, it's, it's interesting because I mean, you know, this, it makes perfect sense. It's a, it, it makes sense from a strong business decision. You know, everything that you've laid out in terms of, um, you know, the, the desire and the ultimate streamlining and, and the benefit that will do to the company. And, you know, obviously the, the health of the company is, is important because that's where a lot of uh, these favorite tobaccos are coming from. Uh, but there is, there's an emotional element to this. Uh, I mean, to our knowledge, uh, this will be the first time that Lane tobaccos will not be pr- produced on American soil. And so there's like a, you know, I, I'm almost struck thinking back, and I know it's a completely different uh, situation, scenario, and everything, but uh, when uh, Budweiser was no longer an American beer, so to speak. But, uh, so this is not the exact same thing at all, or one for one for, at all. But there is kind of an emotional uh, element there. Can you talk about your thoughts on, on that bit as it relates to kind of the, you know, the magnitude of the announcement in the American pipe community? Yeah, and I guess I look at it in two ways. I mean, one is the way, you know, you you know, you and, and consumers would look at this, which is, hey, this stuff has been in one form or another produced here since whatever, 40s, 50s. Uh, we've been, you know, either in New York or Manhattan this entire time. That nostalgia going away, that American point of origin is going away. And I certainly feel that too, because the blends won't change. Mm. I mean, ultimately you do lose a bit of that nostalgia. I, I, I much more think of this emotional impact from, uh, well, one from my side, you know, I've spent a lot of time in that factory. Frankly, I've spent a lot of time trying to come up with projects that would, uh, you know, avoid this eventuality. Um, so, and of course, I've been knee deep in part of this overall process for quite some time. So my my initial shock of it happened quite some time ago. It took a while for me to absorb. But now from my standpoint, um, you know, it's I walk through that factory every day, known these folks in there a long time. I, I really think of it in those terms and in the, the folks who ultimately will, you know, they won't have jobs there. Um, so I think my mind is so there that the, I don't want to diminish the nostalgia part, but I have the nostalgia for the 35 year guy who's, you know, who's been in that factory since, uh, 1983, uh, doing what he does. You know, I do appreciate the way STG has been transparent with those folks mm. and with everybody, because I think it could be a real easy decision you're basically giving people a year's notice of saying, here's what's happening. Here's why it's terrible, but it's going to happen. And we wanted you to know well in advance. Um, It would be very easy to not do that, you know, and to just walk in one day and and shut the doors. Be like, it's over. Like, you know, yeah, that. (laughs) So I, I, I mean, I, I do appreciate the way the company has approached it. There's never a good way to do all of this stuff, but there are certainly bad ways. Um, well, that's so, yeah. a, that is a true statement right there. That is absolutely true. Yeah. The whole process is tough. It's, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, you know, again, from even just from my standpoint, from the first time I heard about this, which was quite a while ago, it took me a long time to absorb that. Um, and of course, standing there in the room with everybody gathered around and, and hearing the announcement, it's, it's, you know, there's nothing fun about it. Um, but again, I, I do appreciate the way they, that we're going about it. Yeah. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Well, and y'all have had a lot of great folks there, um, like you say, with uh, kind of legacies who have who've worked with the company. Um, and John David and I got a chance to meet several of them during our visit. Um, and I was curious, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I, I think I think what you said is exactly right. There's no good way to do it, but there are certainly bad ways. And it sounds like y'all have, have definitely avoided those bad ways when it comes to to your team. But I'm also curious about uh, about yourself. So, uh, you know, like I said, I got this question here too, Leonard. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we've, we've got great friends at STG, and and especially here and on on this side of the pond. And um, kind of curious as to uh, what what y'all's future looks like as, like as well. Yeah, I think you you've got to separate Lane as kind of two business units. You got to think about there is a production facility that has been part of Lane, you know, and that's unlike anywhere else, you know, in the world where that's both there. And then you have what we would call a commercial component, sales, marketing, customer service, you know, the needed accounting support and all of that for everywhere else on the planet. That's what exists. It's this commercial organization products come in for wherever, but it's us out there figuring out what to sell, how to sell it, get the distribution, price and promotion, all the rest of it. Um, so Lane isn't going away. Um, that commercial piece of the division, uh, including myself, <laughs> um, will still be here. Um, you know, physically where I'll be working in uh, October, that could switch. Uh, but um, as far as the day-to-day for our sales folks, um, for like Max Stokabue's out there as a brand ambassador now, uh, folks like... Um, you know, other folks that you guys have interacted with, particularly on, on my team, they may have different roles within the organization today. Um, but the commercial side is essentially remaining intact. So it, there, there isn't really an impact there at all. That's good. I mean, one of the things that I think, um, especially, you know, uh, listeners of this show and just dedicated pipe enthusiasts, I mean, we are all well aware that STG and Lane has been known for just being active participants at pipe shows and, and you know, uh, calling on pipe shops across the country and, uh, you know, just really, you know, having a, having a flag planting in the ground and, and being a, a rallying and support system for uh, the pipe enthusiasts out there. And so, you know, with, with this move and everything, is there any reason to believe that wouldn't continue or, or should we uh, expect you guys to, you know, to be in Chicago, so to speak, and, uh, and beyond? No, no. Uh, all of that is business as usual. Of course, we have our, you know, this pipe life community out there. That was probably their first question uh, as well. Um, no, all those activities are, are going to are going to continue. You know, we'll still be out there hitting the pipe shows. We've still got uh, folks out there from a sales standpoint, hit, hitting all the, sh- all the shops. Um, so yeah, a lot of it, um, most of it from the marketing and participating in those pipe shows and all that, a lot of that does fall on my shoulders and, uh, I've turned into a little bit of a one man gang. So <laughs> it, 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 it's not about whether those activities will continue. It's about, my personal bandwidth and, and ability to get to everything and communicate to everybody uh, and Max as well. Cause he's out there, uh, you know, 
Oh yeah. Yeah. I would like everybody in a unique world for pipe tobacco. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So no, I, I, you're not going to see our support waiver uh, for the pipe category. Great. Great. Well, I mean, it sounds like, you know, the, you know, obviously this is uh, this has been an emotional process and, you know, in, in kind of the announcement, the, uh, you know, just the, the thoughts and, and figurings and, and just kind of, yeah, I mean, just the emotions that y'all been dealing with, you know, now the kind of it's, it's now the community at large is, is now kind of getting the chance to wrestle with that. And so, um, but it sounds like ultimately when it comes to what's, what's best for, for you guys and ultimately the industry is, is this move. And uh, man, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I, I think a lot of folks are going to feel pretty reassured about the, uh, the security and their, their blends staying the same. I mean, you know, uh, I know the, the FDA has been a, a sore point when it comes to uh, the way that, you know, in terms of innovation with the blends are happening. But at the very least, perhaps the, 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 force, the forcefulness of ensuring the blends must be the same and, you know, maybe give some people maybe it's a, a little bit of confidence there, you'd think. Exactly. You know, and including <laughs> um, the former Dunhill blends, you know, Nightcap and, uh, and all the rest of those. We're now doing it under the Peterson banner, but none of those blends have changed either. And, well, you're pretty much hearing it here first. They've just hey. hit, uh, they've hit my warehouse and are starting to ship to wholesalers this week. So you All can right. start to see it at retail and online probably within the next 10 days to two weeks. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for that exclusive. That was a, <laughs> that's a real treat. Well, that, there are some announcements out there, but I haven't really gone full on public yet. So there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks so much. You know, uh, it sounds like Denmark is about to be a, uh, you know, just continues to be a, a hotbed of activity when it comes to the, the pipe world. And obviously with y'all's operations out there, if, if y'all need to send us out and do a live show from the Denmark uh, location, you know, hey, you know, we, 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 we got our passports. I got mine. I'm pretty sure John David's up to date. We can make that happen. <laughs> You're always welcome. Uh, <laughs> you may have to find a way to get there yourself. But, uh, there's some deals every now and then. Yeah, yeah. But you're always, all, the, the doors are always open for sure. <laughs> Athens is a very quaint little town. And I know a good couple of smoke-friendly sailor bars there. Hey, well, there you go. Well, Leonard, thank you so much for coming on Country Squire Radio and, uh, and just representing uh, for your folks there. And uh, man, we, uh, we just appreciate you guys and uh, yeah, hope to, hope to hear more from you in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the uh, opportunity to kind of fill people in. Once again, I want to thank Leonard Wurzel for joining us. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, huge, huge gratitude for taking that time and being willing to come and, and, and talk with us here on the show. You know, one of the things that we like to do here at Country Squire Radio is, you know, discuss the news, uh, provide some commentary. But whenever we're able, uh, if we can kind of give those, you know, the, the direct line between uh, you guys and, and the folks that are, are behind the scenes for the various companies, industries and, and shops that are making the products that we know and love, we like to do that, especially as it re- pertains to news. An interview show is not something that we normally do. And Honestly, to do one without John David feels a little awkward, but uh, hopefully John David will be back soon. Y'all be praying for him, be thinking about him. Uh, you know, of course, this is, a, this is a time that everybody who has been a first-time parent knows to be uh, one of the most hectic times in life. So, uh, you know, I just want to say to him, of course, our thoughts and prayers are with you, John David. We're, we're, you're you're, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. I know you can, brother. And <laughs> we look forward to having you back. Nobody looks forward to having John David back more so than me. So anyway, all that to say, y'all can keep up with him. Keep an eye towards uh, his Twitter handle if you want to, at John David Cole. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Bo York. Of course, you can follow the show's handle at Squire Radio or the shops at underscore Country Squire. 
All that information and more can be found at countrysquireradio.com. That's going to do it for us for this week. So, uh, yeah, let's go have a day. about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.